as the basket goes around the room, I just want you to invite you uh, to turn to your neighbor and just tell them uh, your favorite story. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to leave it undefined. You're creative. <laughs> Thank you, James. So great job on the storytelling, as I think we would uh, tell. Whenever you have a story, you want to spread it widely. It's the power of a good story. A good story can encourage you. It can make you laugh. It can bring you joy. It can make you think. It can tap into your hidden emotions. It can make you cry. The power of a story can also bring about healing give you peace, change your life. I want to remind us that we're reading through the story written by Mark. I want to remind us that every one of the writers in the New Testament are ordinary people. They're not educated theologians except for Paul. Paul had rabbinic training. But everybody else that's writing was an ordinary person. Do you remember there was a, the account of a couple of the followers of Jesus being brought before the religious know-it-alls? And they said, they're just un, they're uneducated. They're unschooled. But they're following Jesus. So what these people are doing, they're telling a story. And I think, again, sometimes as you move away from the history of it, you begin to look at the New Testament as a theological treatise. And sometimes in comparative religion, we want to compare the Bible to other religious texts. And I would just to say, that's bogus. You can't do that. Because the New Testament is an eyewitness account. These are the stories that these individuals lived, and now they're recording them for us to pass along to us. The Holy Spirit helped them to do that. But these stories are not written in some rabbinic school. They're not written in some ivory tower seminary. They're not written with this religious type of junk. These people are writing out of encounters they had with God. And this story written by Mark about Jesus encourages us, it makes us laugh, it brings us joy, it makes us think, it taps into our hidden emotions, it makes us cry, it brings about healing, gives us peace. The story changes our lives. The power of a good story. And I would like to suggest to you that the story of Jesus recorded for us in the New Testament is the very best story ever told in all of human history. In Mark chapter 1, we continue on with the story. Rapid succession. Some of you may know that Mark was close to Peter. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I mean, Mark, this, this, his writing is known for just immediately, immediately, immediately. I just wonder if it's kind of part of Peter's 
personality that you just kind of just kind of got out there. And Mark did his best to get it. Okay, wait, wait, Peter, slow down. Peter couldn't slow down. So in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately, immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. He was tempted by Satan. He was with wild beasts and angels waited on him. And after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. Spreading the story widely. The good news of God. What is that good news? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, change your mind, believe in the good news. So this is the story of how Jesus' earthly ministry begins. And again, it begins rapidly in, in Mark's record. So you have Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan River. It's a water baptism. I believe that Jesus is doing that just to identify with all of us. Not that Jesus needed to repent of anything, to be washed of any sin. But he's encouraging us because we're going to be following him. He does what he wants us to do. Then as Jesus is doing that, something unique happens. And it seems that it's something that really only Jesus understood or saw or heard others thought, well, what is that? They heard noise, but maybe not the clarity. Just that description, heaven's tearing open. This vastness of the universe that Noel talked about. There's, there's only one bigger than the universe is God, and God can rip the heavens open. And the Holy Spirit, not a dove, but like a dove, something like a dove, the next time you see a dove lighting it, you know, flying around town, just kind of picture it in your mind. Descending upon Jesus. What's happening? Jesus is being empowered. Fully man, he's now being empowered for the years of ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then he hears something really important the affirmation of his Father You are my beloved. In you I'm well pleased. And immediately the Holy Spirit drives him out into the desert, into the wilderness, the Judean wilderness for 40 days. And it's in that wilderness that I want us to focus this morning. During these 40 days, Jesus is contemplating the course he's about to take. In other words, you can safely say, Jesus was thinking about how was he going to go about the work of the Messiah. From Brian Zand, the beauty that will save the world. The work of the Messiah is described in the passage that we just read. The work is to spread the story widely. 
That's an understanding of the word proclaim. That's the understanding of the word announce. Announce the good news. Spread it widely. It's a great story. Let everybody in on it. And then the story, what that story is, is described. Two, two phrases. One, the time of the stories fulfilled. So in some way, there was this time determined by God, it's come to an end. We've reached the end of something. So there were really climaxing. So what I'd like to suggest is that God was looking upon human history as God was involved in human history. There finally came a point that God said, enough. I've had enough. I, I'm, real, I'm, real, I, I'm going to step into human history in a big way to change the course. The rebellion of humanity has cost humanity too much. It needs to end. And I've given, I've given human beings every opportunity to end that rebellion. I've, I mean, I've set up this nation. I've given them this covenant. The whole thing was to bring people in relationship with me for them, to invite others. It's not, it's not working. It's not ending the rebellion. So I'm going to end it. I'm going to send my son to end it. We've reached an end. Then if you, th- if you begin, th- if, you, if you agree with that kind of thinking, then you really begin to realize everything is being fulfilled in Jesus. To, I'm not waiting for something to be fulfilled later down the road that's better than what was just fulfilled in Jesus. I mean, history was changed with the arrival of Jesus. The time has been fulfilled and everything that God has determined is going to flow from that. That's, I mean, this is, this is a high point of history, time fulfilled. And then it's the story of the kingdom is near. That means God's royal rule is returning to the earth. God's rule is approaching both in time and space. God's rule is within our reach. Enter the kingdom of God is the invitation that Jesus will repeat again and again and again. So it's close enough to enter. And the message is asking for human response. Folks, repent means change your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind about Messiah. Change your mind about timing, the timing of God's rule. Change your mind about the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing something different than what the theologians thought it might be. Believe. Believe what? Believe in good news. Now, James has a wonderful story. Maybe someday he'll tell us about it. It's a story about 9-11. And you could go from 9-11 to a whole series of events. I could just I could review to you with my year, just our year as a family. And I would say that every one of us in the circumstances of life, whether they're nationally, internationally, or in your own family, were challenged to believe that there is good news in the midst of all the bad news. Am I right? 
And so I'm just, I'm just here to say that what we can't let go of is good news. The circumstances of our life are going to be tumultuous. There is no promise that life is going to be like steady until the finality of the kingdom comes. Until then, it's going to be up, down, and all around. So we are, we, we've got to hold on to this, but still there's this good news. Time fulfilled. Kingdom of God near. That's good news. It will never stop being good news. So as Jesus is contemplating how to go about his messianic mission, how to spread that story widely, how to start a movement that would reach all of humanity and bring the ultimate change that God wants, Satan offers him three dark alternatives. Brian Zand writes, I'm certain the temptations came to Jesus the same way temptation comes to us in the form of dark thoughts that somehow enter our mind, thoughts that we don't always immediately recognize as originating with the powers of darkness. Satan is subtle. Satan just didn't like, hello, Jesus, here I am, in subtle ways. You know, when we pray, lead us far from temptation, what we're really saying, I mean, keep temptation as far away from us as possible because all of us are gullible. We are easily deceived. And the deceiver is a good deceiver, so when he comes close deceiving, we fall for it most every time. It's the same dynamic with Jesus. Jesus emptied himself, became just like us, became empowered by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, and now he's facing temptation in very subtle ways. As he's contemplating, how am I going to live this? How am I going to go about doing this? Satan's already working to undermine it because it's the end of his rule, the beginning of God's restoration. So bread, the tempter came after 40 days and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Again, Brian writes, how should Jesus get people to follow him? Here's a thought. Base it on meeting people's material needs. Meet people's felt needs, as they say. After all, supplying people with bread has long been a common path to power. Give people what they want. That's the ticket. The second temptation. The devil took him to the holy city. That would be Jerusalem. Placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying... The pinnacle of the temple is the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. You can visit that corner. You can stand below that corner. Wailing Wall's over here. There's that pinnacle right there. Awaksa Mosque is right over there. That corner of the temple is where the shofar was blown. And right below that, over here, is the marketplace. 
So it would have been a really, really heavily populated place. And what the devil is saying, hey, position yourself there and then just throw yourself off because there'll be a crowd and they'll see something really spectacular. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Our friend Brian, Jesus rejects the second temptation to turn the kingdom of God into a circus of the sensational. The saving faith of Jesus would be founded on only one essential sign. The resurrection sign of Jonah. Three days. And then resurrection. The final temptation, empire. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. Have no idea where that is. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. As Jesus contemplated how to go about establishing the kingdom of God, because this is the mission of the Messiah, the ever-present temptation was to do it in the way of the Pharaohs and the Caesars. To become king in the way of kings, to bypass the way of the suffering servant and seize the throne through the will of power. If you think about those temptations in the life of Jesus, everything that Satan tempted Jesus with, Jesus provided, but not through the power of darkness. If Jesus would have turned the stones into bread, what would have have meant later when he says, I am the bread of life? What would it have meant when he says, you know, ask our Father and give us this day your daily bread? So if the source of bread is the devil, can't be God. If Jesus wanted people to get the sign of his Messiahship, which is the resurrection, you know, why would he go about the circus of sensationalism? Go back and reread the God. There are many times that Jesus is healing the sick, and as the crowd is, is, is growing, he gets it done. Because he, he didn't have a staged ministry. That's not what he was trying to do. He says a perverse generation asks for signs. I'm going to give you one, a resurrection. If you would have allowed Satan to give him all the kingdoms of the world... What would it mean when it says every knee will will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord at the end? See, Satan's trying to rob him of doing what he's going to actually do to try to do it in his way. So as as I reflected upon those, then I just began to think about our community. Because that messianic, we're we're not not the Messiah. Don't give me, you know, don't, don't misunderstand me. We're not the Messiah. And nobody's going to show up here or elsewhere being them. But we are a community following Messiah and we carry on the mission of Messiah. So I really believe the encouragement of our community, for our community is we've got to contemplate how are we going to go about establishing the kingdom of God in our own lives, in the lives of our family, in our community, in our cities. How, do, how are we going to do that? Because that's our mission. 
Let your kingdom come. Influence us with your kingdom. Establish your kingdom among us. We're to be people of the present representing the future kingdom coming now and again and again and again into fulfillment. So how how are we going to do that? I mean, would anybody be willing to take 40 days, go out in the wilderness and contemplate that? God, how are we going to do that? If there's anything here that we can really grab onto, it's really to grab onto. We should take seriously how we go about continuing the mission of our Messiah at the time that we live. The other thing is we've got to resist the same temptations. Because the temptation of bread for Jesus could be understood as a local church promising a city prosperity. Oh, come join us. We'll take care of all your needs. Don't sweat a thing. You know, and life is just going to get better for you when you're following Jesus. Prosperity is going to come. Anybody want to, like, has that been your reality in following Jesus? And what if, what if I started making promises that we're going we're to meet your every felt need? What happens when I don't meet your felt need? What happens in American church life when we start going down that path? You know, pastor, you didn't meet my felt needs, so we've heard that church over there is meeting that need, so we're going to go there. And they'll go there until they stop, and then they'll go there. And then they'll stop, and they'll go there. What are, what are, who's, the one, who's, the, who's the only one that's going to meet our felt needs? Yeah. We've got to learn to help each other trust our Father in heaven who gives to us. All that we need. Yeah, I want to encourage you. You need to encourage me to trust God. What if we just said, you know, (laughs) it's going to be Miracle Sunday every week. And we're we're going to start having miracles every Sunday. And we're going to start showcasing that. You can plaster me up on the bulletin board or whatever. You know, we're just going to be, we're just going to sensationalize our faith. Is that going to work? I mean, there was a period, I've, I've been in, I've been in church where it was a period of bona fide, genuine renewal. I'm very grateful for it. I hope it happens again. I don't know how that happens other than God decrees it. But I watched my friends become conference junkies. Hey, I hear the Spirit's doing something here. I'm going to go there. Hey, I'm doing it's going. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm going. Hey, I'm going. Been there, Stephen? It's seeking popularity. I don't want to be. I don't. It's impossible. The last, which is probably the most relevant for where we are right now, is the temptation of empire to rely on political power to build the kingdom. To build empire. To think that by force of our political involvement, we are going to bring the change that really only Jesus can bring as he 
establishes his kingdom in us and through us. Now, I would love for that to influence the political process. But I, I grieve. It is grievous to me that the evangelicals are now considered a voting block of the Republican Party. That, is, that breaks my heart. And I, and I get it. I mean, I understand there's issues that the Republican Party represent that are very, very dear to evangel. I get it. But to fall prey to the ovations of, oh, we will represent those values for you. And they haven't, but they've gotten the evangelical vote. Again, that's a temptation. That the church has fallen into. And it will never produce the kingdom that Jesus produces from people, yes, being good citizens. For people voting, yes, we should. But we should never be duped in belonging to one party over the other party. It's eroded the meaning of evangelical. I mean, I'm reading an evangelical passage. The good news is that word evangelical. It's eroded the meaning of that. I don't want people to know that I'm an evangelical anymore because it brings with it too much baggage because of this temptation of relying upon political power to establish the kingdom of God on earth. It's not going to happen. So I want to ask you to join me in committing us to the mission of our Messiah. Our job is to spread the story as wide as we can take it. Santiago, here we come. They're doing a great job there, by the way. This message of the kingdom is going all over South America through La Vina de Chile. Our job is to tell the story of our king. The time has been fulfilled. God is bringing life into creation. God is bringing a big change to humanity. God is changing the course of humanity. We are on a deep dive. God is bringing us up by sending us Jesus, by reestablishing his rule on the earth so that you and I and everybody else can live a life that's really good, best. We can get along. Wars can cease. I mean, if you just go on and on and on. May we join that mission. It's hard. I, it, I mean, I'm, it's hard. Let me, I, I'll, I'll tell you something, just a short story about my difference. I struggle with this. I mean, is our world better than it was when Jesus was here? I mean, things just keep happening. But maybe that's evidence that this evil one is really resisting the, the establishment of the kingdom of God. 
And maybe if we didn't allow him to dupe us, maybe if we kept our eyes open, we could see that, that really God is doing much more to restore his rule than the devil is to rob his rule. And I, it's hard. It's hard to hold on to that Jesus started something to change the world. But I believe he did. It's not just to clean us up, to forgive our sins. It, that was for a purpose, which is to change the world. So could we commit ourselves to that course, to staying on that course as a community of people? to resist the temptations that are very real to get us off that course. The last thing is I I really do wonder if the Holy Spirit might say to a few of us, you know, we are those people in the community that really would like to spend 40 days (laughs) contemplating how we're going to go about doing this. You know, I I just think there might be a little bit of a call to service, to ministry. And so could we just take a minute and let me kind of pray that way that we might keep, keep on track with the mission of the Messiah and that maybe the Holy Spirit would like just kind of invite a few of us to become a team of people that truly contemplate as Jesus did. How do we, how do we go about spreading the story as wide as we can with our generation. Is that that okay? Can we do that? Would you like to stand with me? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I I would invite you to do what I can't do, and that is to change our mind. I, I, I would ask that some way, somehow, as we stand before you this morning, that you would take the words that are written down in the story of Mark, that you would take the words that I've shared, the ones that would be consistent with what Mark wrote down, and that somehow you could change our mind and bring us to a place of faith. Believe, we believe The good news, the the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. It's within reach. It's close. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would issue or reissue, renew, whatever, I don't know the right word, but that we as a community could say yes again to the mission of Jesus in this world And that we would get along in the pathway that he started. And that we would work towards completion. That we would agree as a community, that's where we want to be. That's what we want to do. We want to do the mission of spreading the story, the good news story of the time fulfilled and the coming of the kingdom of God with our generation. And finally, Holy Spirit, my sense was that there just might be a few of us that truly wanted to develop just a a team of people that want to contemplate how do we go about 
spreading the story as wide as possible at this time in our cities. And so, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to speak. Speak to some of us. Give us a sense of calling that, yes, you're inviting us to serve in that way and to encourage this community. So I want to invite you just, if, if you have a sense that that's an invitation for you, would you, just, would you just raise your hand? Okay, great. Those of you that have raised your hand, would you come visit with me before we leave? Okay. I'm going to stand in the corner. You can come join me. So Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for good news. Send us out now to represent your good news. In your name, amen. Thank you all very much for our time together. Don't forget your children. They're in the back.